Right. Um, so, uh, Michelle and I were thinking about um, who was going to take which meeting and meeting. Uh, gathering, <laughs> who was going to give a message. And, and, uh, and I wasn't sure what I was doing with holidays, so I said, well, I'll do this one because I know I can be here for this one. And I said to the Lord, well, I've got no idea what you want me to talk about. And he said, well, you'd be staggered. <laughs> I've got a heart revelation for the dearly beloved. <laughs> I have a message about the dear. Um, some of you would have been here uh, a couple of months ago when, uh, although I wasn't up speaking, um, I did grab the mic and with excitement. I was bubbling with excitement because, um, because I like to follow archaeological finds from the Holy Land and there was one this year. And this year um, they found um, a clay seal that had been fired when the Babylonian Empire came in and burnt down the holy city of Jerusalem. Um, it was in a section of the Palace of David where um, the Palace of David included all the kind of government stuff and they kept all of the scrolls. And they've been finding these little clay seals, they're called bulai when they're clay seals. Uh, they've been finding them for years now, um, just the last, I don't know, maybe the last eight or nine years, something like that. The first ones they were finding had some, were, did cause some excitement because there were names on it that were found in the Bible. They were names of people who were in the book of Jeremiah. Um, they weren't people that Jeremiah liked, but it was still quite exciting to see a correlation between something found physically and Jeremiah's books. Well, they've been digging back, and obviously the more you go back, the lower the layers you get. Um, and they found one, which was King Hezekiah's seal. And that was quite exciting. And then not so very far away from that, they found one that had Isaiah, the prophet, in Hebrew, written down. And that was kind of pretty exciting. And... Just, there were three, like, three layers to this little seal. It's only, it only a tiny little thing, but the top layer, it was a bit broken off, but they could see some legs of an animal, and the archaeologist lady, Dr. Eileen Matzer, uh, said, I think that's a deer. And that excited me no end. Um, Hezekiah's little image. He had an image which wasn't broken and you could see it. It was um, a, from the kind of like pagan um, uh, world. It was a solar disc. You get them in Egyptian stuff um, and it does kind of resonate with what we know about King Hezekiah that although he did sort of repent uh, under Isaiah's direction and um, and he had a kind of stay of execution. We know that he then went off and invited the, the, the Babylonian envoys over to have a look in, around the temple and stuff, and it, it wasn't in exactly the right place. But it excited me that Isaiah had the deer because I knew that the deer related to the Song of Songs, and so I was thinking, well, that's really great. Well, anyway, a few weeks ago, um, I, one of the jobs I do at work is I have to welcome new starters, um, and I had somebody new joining, and it turned out he was a Christian, and we spent several hours just talking about the Bible. Um, and, and I'd mentioned this to him, 
And he said, oh, yes, you know, if Isaiah's seeing a deer in that, you know, he's obviously thinking about the Psalms. And I was thinking, well, no, no, he's thinking about the Song of Songs, but no, he said he did the Psalms. So, so that I said, ah, yes, as the deer pants for the streams of, um, uh, for, the, for, for the water, so my soul longs after you. That's good. He said, oh, do you know, yes, you're right, that is in the Psalms, but that wasn't the one I was thinking of. And then I said, oh, there is something about deer, you know, um, I, he makes my feet like the feet of the deer. I mean, is that what you're, he said, no, no, that's what I'm thinking of. He said, he said, no, I'm thinking of, it's the, the hind of the morning. I said, the hind of the what? The hind of the morning. And it was, a, it was something, a phrase that is in the Bible, it is in the Psalms, but it was lost on me. I didn't know anything about it. Anyway, he sent me an article about it. And oh my, wow, the revelation in that article was really quite amazing. And it does take me back into the Song of Songs. I've learned more about the Song of Songs as a result of it. Um, and I've been, um, I've been on a kind of a quest to explore and discover about this. Um, I can tell you now where it's all heading. Um, uh, a male and female deer are an image of the bride and the bridegroom. So everything that we're going to learn about the female deer, we're going to learn about the bride, its qualities of the bride. And everything that we learn about the male deer, the stag, we're going to learn something about our bridegroom king. Now that's quite a statement to make, um, but um, I will explain how I get there. But that just gives you a sense of where we're going with it, with this tonight. We're going to learn about what it is to be the bride. We're going to learn some things uh, that are going to, going to, you know, teach us some, uh, some, some ways. And we're going to learn about our lovely bridegroom king. We're going to learn about him. So before we just jump into it, um, just a little note on vocabulary. Um, I did have a look in the Bible at different words um, associated with uh, these animals, and I found ten different Hebrew words, ten. And um, uh, they, they range from everything like uh, deer, stag, hind, roe, roebuck, fallow deer. We've got, and there were some weird ones as well, things I've never heard of, like chamois or something. Anyway, some weird things. So, do, do you know? Shammy, well, maybe it was a shammy, yeah, maybe it's for use for, if, if we want to rub our cars down or something. I don't know. Polish our ministries. I, I, I don't know. Um, anyway, I, there's, there's, some, there's some weird stuff, but. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, there's things in it that I don't know. Um, so, so, I looked at that. Um, now, also, you have to understand that because the deer has been a hunted animal, um, and the, it, the, it's been a hunted animal in English, the English language has itself got a very rich vocabulary associated with these kinds of creatures. And so there are specific words in the English language for a young deer, an old deer, a male deer, a female deer, young and, young and female, young and male, old and male. There's all kinds of specificity in the English language, which means that when you want to translate from Hebrew into English, you've got some choices to make, and sometimes they don't actually know what the right word is. So in terms of tonight... Um, uh, I'm, I'm just looking at all of them, um, and I'm treating all of them as though they're the same thing. I'm not, I'm not differentiating too much. I'm sure that um, one day the Lord will, will give me further revelation, and then I'll, I'll learn the error of my ways, and that there will be something very specific about the, the words he's got. But, um, but for now, I'm using those ten different words in the same way. 
Um, what I would say, though, is that there are two main words. Uh, so there is one word, uh, there's one word called ayal, which has got two variations. There's also ayala and ayalet, but they're all based on the same thought. Uh, and it comes from the, the idea of it, if you go back into the etymology, into the, into the roots of the word, is the strong one, the leader, the pillar or lintel, a ram, a stag, an ox or a strong tree. That's the kind of origins of it. It's, it's the, something very big and strong. That's one of the words. The other word that is used a lot, and I'm talking 32 different times, is a word called sebi which means special beauty, grace, wall, herd or army. Now, when I went through all of the references in there, because I did go through them all, um, what I found was that there were a number of them that were not a direct reference to an animal. Um, so quite often, there were references to the, glory of the glorious land, and it used that word, and it's talking about the land of Israel. Now, again, um, I know God will take me on a journey where one day I'll have the advanced course, and then what, I, what I'll do is I will then start to understand that having all this revelation in, in the gazelle and the deer, that when I get to that bit, there will be something extra. And I won't be trying to make the English connection of the glorious land, but rather I'll get something special about it, about that. But I'm not there, and I'm not going there tonight, um, but, it's, but it's out there. There then are a number of other words which only occur once or twice uh, and we, we really don't get much more insight in as to what they are about. But that's just a little note about vocabulary. Now, the first point I want to make about, um, about deer is that they are a clean animal. So I am here telling you tonight that Jesus is like the male deer. Now, that would not work if I was stood here saying he was like a male camel or like a male fox. Or like, um, or like a male eagle, or a male vulture, or a male scorpion, or a male snake. None of those things could possibly work, because scripture is explicit. Those things are not clean animals. It can only work because scripture says this is a clean animal. Now, um, Moses uh, led the people of Israel through their wilderness wanderings, um, and... Um, uh, and in his last week of his life, he wrote the book of Deuteronomy. Um, that book, it was, written, um, uh, it was written over seven days. So um, day one, he gave a sermon. Day two, he wrote it down. Day three, he gave a sermon. Day four, he wrote it down. Day five, he gave a sermon. Day six, he wrote it down. Day seven, he goes up Mount Nebo, and Joshua had to write the last bit. He doesn't come down again. And there's actually, the last chapter of the book of Deuteronomy is so full of miracles that, that um, we don't even discover about all of that until you get to the book of Jude, which is the second to last book in the Bible. It's quite interesting. Anyway, while, while he's there, in his last week, they are encamped on what's known as the plains of Moab. It's, it's, the, it's the flat bit of land on the far side of the River Jordan, so before they've crossed over the River Jordan. And what Moses is doing is he's giving them clarity um, about as you go into the land, just be clear about this, guys. You are going in and you are going to dis dispossess, you're going to displace a people who, are, who have been involved in practices that have reached the fullness of their evil. And when you go into the land, 
You mustn't go doing what they do. He actually says, if you do what they do, the land itself will will treat you as though you itself as though you are an illness and the land will vomit you out which actually is what happened to them when they got vomited out to beyond to babylon that's that that actually is what's happened that's actually known as the deuteronomic principle in theology so that if if you don't do the right thing that god will will displace you from this land now, um, as part of those instructions, um, they needed to eat clean food and not eat unclean food. And, and in Deuteronomy chapter 14, it says this. It says, do not eat any detestable thing. These are the animals that you may eat. The ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roe deer, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. Now, that last set is the set which, uh, which uh, a lot of them, they only come up once in the Bible, um, in that passage there, and we don't know exactly what they all are. Some people have made some educated guesses. The book I read, I, I kind of thought, well, you might be right, but I don't think you've got much revelation about anything else, so I don't trust you. So, so anyway, um, uh, so, so, but, but the point is made that it's clean. Now, because it's clean, um, this is, this is I, I start at this point because it's a foundational point for us as the bride. Let me just read you another passage, Ephesians chapter 5. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. It's a foundational point being clean because you, you have to understand what it is to be clean before you're really going to move into understanding what it is to be the bride. It kind of comes first. But understand this, he gave himself up for her to make her holy. You know the Old Testament sacrifices in the Old Testament, it talks about how the blood was a covering over sin. But you know the blood of the lamb isn't a covering over sin, did you know that? John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was prophesied in one of the Psalms, as far as the east is from the west. That's how far he has removed our transgression from us. This isn't sin that is still smelly under the carpet. This is sin that is utterly removed. And there's two ways he does it. One is he dies and cleanses us, but then secondly, he washes us in the word. The picture there, it refers back to in the tabernacle of Moses, just outside the holy place was what was called a bronze laver. It was a big, big bronze bowl. And in that bowl was water. And, when, and only the priests were to use this. 
the priest actually has a representation of the bride. So the priest and the bride are the same thing, which is quite interesting when you look at the genders. But anyway, um, and the priest had to wash his face and his hands before they could go in to the holy place. But once they'd been washed, then they were allowed in to the holy place. The holy place was the place where only the bride and the bridegroom could be. The holy place, that tent, it was a tent. It was, it was actually picked up within the, the, um, the, the Jewish marriage custom that, that in the centre of a wedding would be, would be the tent where only the bride and the bridegroom could go. So only the clean priest could go into the holy place. Only the clean bride could go into the into the into the bridal chamber, uh, and um, and uh, and so the priest was there washing his hands in this bowl, which was which was like very reflective. So it's like washing in the word. That's the picture: is that we're washing in the word. That as we look at it, the word gives us a sober right assessment, a sober right assessment of where we are at. It tells us truthfully, honestly, this is where you are at. It doesn't put uh, rubbishy, negative, um, overly negative, guilty type things on you, but neither does it hide uh, the, the blemishes. But then at the same time, you can wash in it so all of the blemishes go. And when you go into the holy place, then you are presented um, radiant, without blemish, without carrying any of that kind of baggage. Now, that's all kind of foundational. But let's, let's move on. The next thing that we're going to learn about the deer is that you can eat them. I quite like things I can eat. I was saying to, I was saying to Michelle, um, I had all this revelation about the deer, and I felt really bad that I'd been down at the Tewkesbury Festival eating a venison stew. And I was thinking, that's not so good. But then I, then I saw it, it said, oh, well, you actually you are allowed to eat them, so that's okay. So, um, so in, in, in 1 Kings, um, we, we learn about King Solomon um, and King Solomon's table. And it says this, Solomon's daily provisions were 30 cores, I don't even know what a core is, but anyway, 30 cores of finest flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 head of stool-fed cattle, 20 of pasture-fed cattle, and 100 sheep and goats, as well as deer, gazelles, roebucks, and choice fowl. So it's good enough for Solomon's table, so it's good to eat. Now, because um, deer were eaten, but they were not domesticated, it meant that they were hunted. And, um, and because deer are hunted, we're going to learn something both about us as the bride and about the bridegroom. Because in the, in the heavenly realms, it is a bit like be, us being hunted. The enemy doesn't like us. Now, there were two passages... Uh, that, that describes something about deer being hunted. Now, both of them are prophecies given against Israel. And Israel is shown as being the hunted ones. But I thought this quite interesting. It's instructive um, about, um, uh, about deer when deer get it wrong. They said, uh, so the first one, Isaiah 51, verse 20, it says, Your children have fainted... They lie at every street corner like antelope caught in a net. Okay, so that's one way in which you can do hunting. You can hunt them with a net. Now, I'm going to come later on to look at 
the entrapment of the deer uh, and how the deer escapes the, the snare. I'm going to look at that uh, in, in a little bit. But um, before we do that, I'm going to look at the other one. So the other one is in Lamentations, chapter 1, and verse 6. It says, All the splendour has departed from daughter Zion. Her princes are like deer that find no pasture. In weakness, they have fled before the pursuer. Now, these are not just any old deer, because if they were any old deer, they wouldn't have a problem running away. These are deer that have had no pasture. These are deer who haven't been eating enough. Now, I watched a documentary about deer. One of the things I, I learned is they love to eat. They spend all their day eating. I like deer. I like being a deer. I like eating. And it's good to eat. It's good to eat. What does it mean spiritually for us spiritually to eat? Well, I think Jesus gives us two clues. First of all, he says, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then again, he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So, so what we've got then is food, which is about learning the word of God, and food which is doing the word of God. To hear and do. There's a Hebrew word that sums up both of those. It's Shema. Shema. Hear, O Israel. Shema, Israel. Hear and do. That's what it means. Hear and do. It's hear and obey. It's all caught up in the one word. That's what we need. Now, um, there is a feature of deer... Um, uh, I, I knew this about cattle, I didn't know it about deer. They have four stomachs. Um, they, they're one of those things that's got four stomachs. And, um, and so what they do is they'll spend like several hours just literally just chomping away and chomping away and chomping away. And then what they do is they go and find a secret place, uh, a place where they can be perfectly camouflaged, and they just sit down and sit still. And they give their stomachs time to ruminate, is the, is the process. It's a little bit disgusting if you understand the digestive thing. But anyway, it ruminates. It gives them a chance to go over it all again, shall we say. And uh, for, us, for us, we need to ruminate on the word. It's a great thing to be in a place like this and have a feast there's, tonight, I promise you, a feast of scriptures. In fact, I counted them up. You're going to have over, over 70 different passages of scripture from over 25 different books. It's a proper feast, all right, we've got of scripture tonight. But the thing is, it will just pass through you if you don't meditate on it. It will pass through you if you don't make it your own. But if you do, then, then you can really digest it. You get it into your spirit. It says in Psalm, uh, Psalm 119, verse 15, it says, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. So it's interesting, isn't it? They have to, they have to be still. They have to stop and think these things over. But the next thing, of course, that we need is what we don't want. We, we want to feed from the right tree. Do you remember there's two trees? There's a tree of life, and then there's the tree of knowledge. And St. Paul says that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. 
We want to get that kind of love relationship to the things that we're learning, not just to be full of intellectual head stuff that isn't going to take us anywhere. You know, there's a picture for this in the holy place. As the priest walked into the holy place, on one side of the holy place there was a table, and on that table was bread. It was called showbread. And on the other side of the tent was uh, the menorah, which is a, a seven, uh, lamp, uh, seven lamps in, all built into a single lampstand that kind of makes the shape of a tree, maybe like the tree of life, possibly. Possibly. Um, and, and so what you have then is a light, the light of revelation, the light of the Spirit, coming down on the bread to give that insight into the bread of revelation. It said um, of the Holy Spirit, it says, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. The Spirit is the one who gives us that revelation. Now there is actually a spiritual gift of revelation. It says, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or, in, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. So it's one of those things that can be brought. So sometimes, you know, you, you may be, uh, you know, at home and God's told you something and you've got some prophecy or a word of knowledge or a tongue or say maybe you've got a song in your heart, you've got something, something to bring to the body. Well, another one of those things that you can bring to the body is revelation. And we share it together, that we should all be built up, be edified, that's the word, that we're built up in the faith together. And so we start to share these things and we pour them out. We're pouring from one person's spirit into another person's spirit. And we grow together. But all of those things, by the way... Um, they, they, they do not fall into that category where it's different parts of the body and, and in each part of the body, you know, the eye can't say to the, you know, whatever it is. It, it, it's not one of them. No, this, this set, all of us get to have all of the time. So it's, it's nothing exclusive about this. It's not that one person gets revelation of the word. We all get revelation into the word. That comes as standard, okay? So... Um, but but it is it, it is a gift to the body. It is a gift to the body. Now let's learn something else about feasting. And we finally I'm finally going to get to the Song of Songs. Here we go. He brought me to his banqueting chamber, and his banner over me is love. Strengthen me with raisins. Refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. This is the kind of love that we need to have for him. Um, I think it's really interesting. Firstly, there are a lot of times in scripture where God prepares a banqueting table. It's actually it's quite startling how many banqueting tables there are. So at Mount Sinai, 
Moses takes the 70 elders up the mountain and they come to, I don't know, some kind of plateau or something, something like that, where the floor is sapphire beneath them. That's a bit weird because this kind of, it actually says lapis lazuli, which doesn't even exist in, in that part of the world. Um, uh, so it's like they're coming to heaven. It's like heaven is beneath them. It's like the sapphire sea is beneath them. And, and then there's a feast prepared. How did that happen? There's a table, there's a feast. And God himself is serving them. They have a feast. You see, they have a feast. Or what about um, Psalm, uh, Psalm 23? You know, the Lord's my shepherd. He has prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You know, and we're having a feast. We feast, Lord Jesus, on the abundance of your house. Um, or, or Jesus telling uh, the, the parables of the, of the wedding banquet. The banquets. There's always food. Lots and lots of food. God loves feeding us. Well, in this particular occasion, the bride, she comes to the feast, and the feast is all there prepared, but she's not eating. She sees the bridegroom, and she is overwhelmed by the bridegroom, so much so that she feels faint. Now, I I don't know if you caught in uh, in the worship earlier, where we were singing, For Your Name is Holy. Um, there was that video that's based on, uh, on the book of Revelation. In, in, in Revelation chapter 1 uh, and verse 17, it says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand upon me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. It's that, it's that experience that John had of seeing him as he really is. That is so overwhelming that he could just, yeah, just had to fall down faint before, before Jesus. It is that, isn't it? You know, you know that. And, and, um, and actually Jesus filled him with power to make him rise up to stand in his presence. Isn't that an amazing thing? We have to be filled with power to even be in his presence. And that's what he wants. You rise, my love. Come on, come on. Come up here. Come up to the next level. This is just the first level. You know, that's what, that's what John's experience was. Well, well, for the bride, I mean, I love this bit. Okay, I really love this bit. She has this experience. She's like, oh, I'm feeling so faint. Get me some cake. <laughs> I've tried that. My wife's now got a cake business. Anyway, anyway, she says, give me a cake with raisins. That's what I need. Refresh me. I need need energy. I've got to have this power to stand in your presence. And it's like, oh, if I swoon, I might just have to fall down and you'll have to catch me in your arms. (laughs) And that's what she does. And that's what he does. He's quite happy to, to play that game. He quite likes that game. Well, isn't it interesting, you see, she says, um, uh, she's actually, she's got to that feast, but she's already been eating before she even got there. She said, um, she said, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. So the idea here is it's like you're walking through a forest of evil gods and everyone is a tree and the forest is like this big, dark, horrible place 
and you're, getting, you're tripping up over the roots and they're all getting entangled and all the rest of it. But then come upon a clearing and in that clearing there's bright hot sunshine. And in the middle of that bright hot sunshine is an apple tree. Just humble and beautiful and its shade is delightful. It's like, let me get under your glory cloud, Lord. Let me get under your shade. Let me come under your tent, under your banner. Your banner over me is love. Let me come under your hooper. Let me have the shade of your house. I want to be in your house, in your tent. That's, that's the experience she's having where she sits under his, uh, under, under his branches. And she sees, that, you know, you know a tree by its fruit, don't you? And, and this is a fruitful tree. This is a fruitful apple tree. It's covered in apples. And she's just helping herself. She's eating these apples and eating these apples. It's like, I just want to consume him. I want him. I want more of him. Just give me more of him. You know, later on in the Song of Songs, he, is de- he describes her beauty. And he gets to a bit where he says, yeah, but your breath, your breath smells. It smells like apples. Yeah. Well, we know why that is, because you've just been stuffing a face on it. So that's the that's, that's song of songs, chapter seven. <laughs> anyway, um, so, so you have to be hungry, and you've got to eat lots. This is, this is my philosophy on life. I'm going to be hungry, and I'm going to eat lots. I like eating. <laughs> But aside from eating, the deer need to, need to be thirsty. And so, uh, just as, as Angie pointed out earlier, we've got, um, we've got that, that other psalm. Psalm 42, verse 1, it says, As the deer pants for the water, for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? I'm a dry and thirsty land. There's something... You see, you can live without food for a little bit longer than you can live without water. You need the water. It's something of desperation about being like the deer that thirsts for the living God. And and so we need to just let ourselves be thirsty thirsty for him. I'm so desperate for him. You know, when I was preparing this and I went through all of the the scriptures, I came to the conclusion that that one verse is the single most important verse to take away from tonight. That we thirst for the living God. There's loads of insight and revelation in a lot of the rest of it, but that's the thing that I think is the most important thing. Um, That we thirst for him. Well, I've told you something about the bride, the bride and food, <laughs> and wanting food. But what about the bridegroom? What about the bridegroom? Well, did you know he quite likes eating as well? Now, just understand this. It says, like a lily among thorns is my darling among women. That's what he says of her. So just like she's got the picture of the trees and all of them ugly, horrible forest and the beautiful apple tree, so he's got a picture of thorns everywhere and in the thick of all of these thorns there's this beautiful lily. It's, it's beautiful to sight, it's fragrant um, and this is something that I learned. I watched this documentary about, um, about deer and they love eating flowers. Mm. Isn't that funny? They love eating wildflowers. That's what they do. 
Um, in fact, it was, it was quite a funny sort of thing. They, it, there's, there's parts of the United States where the suburbs of cities are overrun with deer. They've literally got deer bouncing around everywhere. They're in everybody's gardens. Now, they, they don't treat them as pests. They love them. They think they're beautiful, but they do eat everybody's flowers. It's like, and they just, they just, you know, they see all these flowers, they go, oh, right, I'll have a bit of that. It, they, they're different to goats. You see, goats will sit and eat everything. But deer are a bit more... Um, and this is something that I learned. I watched this documentary about, um, about deer, and they love eating flowers. Isn't that funny? They love eating wildflowers. That's what they do. Um, in fact, it was, it was quite a funny sort of thing. They, it, there's, there's parts of the United States where the suburbs of cities are overrun with deer. They've literally got deer bouncing around everywhere. They're in everybody's gardens. Now, they, they don't treat them as pests. They love them. They think they're beautiful, but they do eat everybody's flowers. It's like, and they just, they just, you know, they see all these flowers and they go, oh, right, I'll have a bit of that. It, they, they're different to goats. You see, goats will sit and eat everything. But deer are a bit more discriminating in what they eat. They like, they like the nice bits, the soft stuff. You know, they like the, they like the beautiful stuff. Mm, and fruit, yes, and nuts. Yes. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, it said in Song of Songs, he browses amongst the lilies. So, so what he does is, is he, likes to, um, he likes to collect himself a nice big bouquet, like us here tonight, the people who love him. And he just comes and he feeds on that. He browses amongst the lilies. That's, that's something that he likes to do. Okay, well... Um, uh, the, another thing about deer, I've said that they're hunted, but, but although they're hunted, they are fast, okay? In fact, although this is a bit of illustration that's not from the Bible, I've tried to keep everything to the Bible, but there's something that's not from the Bible. Um, I, I, I discovered that both in um, early medieval English hunting, but also the same was true of Bedouin hunting of deer in the, in, in the land that they found that um, they, they would try going after these deer, maybe on horseback with dogs, but they weren't fast enough to catch them. So actually what they had to do was they'd have to do combined warfare. They'd have to have a different types of attack all at the same time. So not only did they have the horse and the dogs, but they also had falconry. And they used the falcons. The falcons couldn't do anything directly to the deer, but they would sort of like swoop down on their heads. Um, and I mean, they couldn't directly attack a, you know, one of these big deer, but, but what they would do is they'd cause confusion. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? That's very much how the enemy likes to play things. If you just go straight by running, you know, the deer can outrun. The deer can outrun the, the dogs. The deer can outrun the attack. But what the enemy likes to do is to sort of like, confuse us in the mind so that, we, that we're not, we're not single-minded and focused on fleeing from the devil um, and, um, and, and running, after, run, running after him. However, um, the, the, the bride, she's, she's single-minded and focused and she knows she can run. And she says to him, look, draw me after you. Let us run together. She's made to run. We're made to run. We're made to go fast in the spirit. We're not meant to dawdle. We, we go after him with everything that we are and we charge and we are like lightning. We are that first. 
Draw me after you. Let us run, run, run together. I'm going to run this race. I'm going to run this race for that prize, which is him. And, and not only does she run, but also he runs. She says to him, hurry, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountain of spices. Be that runner. And we know of Jesus, you know, though he may tarry, well, it says in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 2, For you yourselves know full well that, the, that on the day of the Lord it will come like a thief in the night. It will come suddenly. He's going to come suddenly for us. He's going to come so fast. It's all going to be really fast. And he is fast. Wow. Okay, so, so the bride is, is fast. Um, but we're also... Like these deer, we are sure-footed. And we're even sure-footed in, in the mountainous crags, in the highways, in the difficult times, the difficult places. How about this passage from Habakkuk? So Habakkuk has to give a prophecy, and it's a prophecy of judgment upon the very nation that he is living in. And, and he knows that it's all going to go wrong for the nation that he's living in. And yet he is able to say that he, won't, he himself won't be subject to it. He says this, he says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord, in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He has made my feet like the hind's feet, and he makes me walk on high places. That's what he does, even in the day of affliction, even in the day of, uh, of sparseness. That sparseness for them, not for me, not for the bride, not for us, for we who believe. We're going, to be on, we're going to be on the high places, nimble and, and, uh, and, and, and confident and, and sure-footed, just like our bridegroom. Behold, he's coming, climbing on the mountains, leaping on the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. That's him. Now, I'm going to go on... Now, I don't want to say a rabbit trail, because I don't like rabbits... But um, I'm going to say a rabbi trail, okay? So, so we're just going to go on a little bit of, a, of, a, of an excursion. Excuse me for a minute, but you'll see how it's going to tie together later, okay? It is going to come together, I promise. We're going to go back to uh, the foundational book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And in the table of nations in chapter 10, it's a genealogy. That sounds boring. Um, uh, let me read to you some of this genealogy. Okay. Now, Cush became the father of Nimrod. He became a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. That was a phrase they had. It's a bit lost on me because I didn't really know that phrase. But anyway, that was a phrase they had. Like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. That, that's the one, all right? Now, the beginning of his kingdom, oh, that's interesting. He's the first king in the Bible. Yeah? You ever wondered why Samuel didn't, didn't like the idea of Israel having a king? Yes, yeah, because of Nimrod. Let's see what he did. 
the, the beginning of his kingdom was like Babel. That's Babylon to you and me. Right? That's the first city he founds. The very first city on earth, Babylon. And Erech, Akkad, and Kalne in the land of Shinar. Shinar is the, is the land in which Babylon sits. It's the big flat plain there. From that land, he went forth into Assyria and built Nineveh. Oh yeah, well that was a good place. Yeah, that was, that, that, that was good, yeah. And Repaboth-ir, and Kala, and Rezen, between Nineveh and Kala, that is the great city. Now, if we translate those names, so we don't just have them as you know, names of places that we've never heard of and we don't really understand what that's all about, but if we translate the names of the cities, we find that Babel is confusion by mixing. Confusion by mixing, that's what Babylon is. Mixing, Babylon, the world religion thing. It's gonna be a confusion by mixing. Erech was um, technically long, but it kind of means expansive. This is like a massive, on a massive scale, confusion by mixing. Akkad, that means subtle and stronghold. It's a subtle deception that creates a stronghold on a massive scale of confusion by mixing. Kalne, that means a fortress of Anu. Anu was a pagan god of their day. He was actually... You know, in all of their ugly pagan religions, you get like one who has, who has children and they have children and all the rest of it. And so you then get like this big pantheon and you get loads of them. Well, Anu was the one at the top of that tree. He was the one who gave rise to that, that first Babylonian pantheon of gods. So, so it's always the same in the marketplace of religion. Uh, the devil, what he does is he gives you 51 choices and 50 of them are his. You know? And that's, that's what was happening here. So that's the confusion. You know, they don't all agree with each other. They're all different. Oh, I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm not this. But actually, all it is, is it's the devil or God. You know? And, and there's 50 choices that are the devil. That's, um, that's what you've got with Calne. The fortress. The fortress. Another stronghold. Another, like, really robust thing. Then you've got Asher, which is successful. This is, it was massively successful, this deception that... That, that came and bound all of these people. And it's still here, yes. Uh, Nineveh, that means an abode of Ninus, Ninus, which was another one of these horrible pagan gods. Rehoboth here was a city of wide streets. That's the one, that's the reason why I'm reading this. We're going to come back to the city of wide streets, okay? Um, and Kela was vigor and completion. Those were the places that, that Nimrod founded. Well, uh, now let's come back to the Song of Songs. In the Song of Songs, there are two occasions when the bride has um, a very uncomfortable experience. They're both at night. Um, and what's, it's deeply upsetting to the bride because for some reason or other she can't find him. Okay? Now, I'm going to do the first of these. Song of Songs, chapter 3. She says, On my bed, night after night... I sought him who my soul loves. That's what the bride of Christ does. She searches out the one who her soul loves. I sought him, but I did not find him. So what she says to herself is, I must arise now and go about the city in the streets and the squares. I must seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him but I did not find him. 
The watchmen who make the rounds in the city found me. And I said, have you seen him whom my soul loves? Well, scarcely had I left them, those watchmen, when I found him whom my soul loves. And when I found him, I held on to him and I would not let him go. Now, what we learn from this is that the reason why she wasn't with him is that she was in the wrong place and looking in the wrong place. So where was she that night? On my bed, night after night. She wasn't on his bed, because his bed is verdant. Okay. There's an earlier passage of the Song of Songs that I didn't cover. But anyway, he's, he's, he's out there, and he's out there. He's not stuck in, in, her, in, her, um, in her house. Um, so, so, you know, one of, the, one of the things that God calls us to do is to come out. You know, we're to come out of Babylon. We're to come out of our, our, our mundane existence. We're to come away from all the, you know, leave my father and my mother. We've got to leave all of that um, to go after him and to be in his place. And when she says, well, I've got to go about the city in these streets, in these broad streets and squares, it's just like Rehoboth here. It's, it, you're not going to find him there. It's not, you're not going to find him in, in this broad street city, which is part of the world system. You're not going to find him there. He, no, he's up on the mountains. That's where he is. But fortunately, he's got friends of the bridegroom. They're known as watchmen in this passage. The watchmen... And he has watchmen who's, who are literally going into the city and they are, they're, they're going around the city and, and they're able to provide guidance. And as soon as she finds the watchmen, she says, oh, like, uh, scarcely had I left them, having asked these watchmen, then I, then I find him. So they point, to, uh, to, they point the bride to the bridegroom. Well, it says in Matthew chapter 7, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. You see, Jesus is talking about that same city of Rehoboth here with the broad street city. There's a broad paths, broad paths, the open squares of the, of, of the, bride, of the Song of Songs um, uh, passages city. Um, broad is the, it leads to destruction. There are many who enter through it. But the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few that find it. So, um, so what we've got then is uh, the we're, we're we're on the we're on the high places. You see, that's what this is about. This is about the narrow place, the narrow routes, the high places, the mountain passes. That's where you're going to find him, because how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Well, um, in Psalm 18, verse 30 uh, to 37, um, it's a, a little bit of a longer passage, we're going to see something where, where because we have, as deer, we have this ability to run in the mountain places. It's not just about running away from the enemy. We're this, this same gift, the same abilities are going to allow us to turn tables on the enemy. Let's just see what it says in Psalm, uh, Psalm 18. As for God, his way is blameless. His word, uh, sorry, the word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. 
For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who girds me with strength and makes my way blameless. He makes my feet like the hind's feet and sets me on high places. He trains my hands for battle so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me a shield of your salvation. Your right hand upholds me and your gentleness makes me great. You enlarge my steps under me and my feet have not slipped. So I pursued my enemies and I overtook them and I did not turn back until they were consumed. Oh, hold on a minute. There's something a bit more about us, the bride, you know? Do you remember we're an army with many banners? Terrible. Yeah? There's, we, we've, this same ability we have of the hind's feet to, to tread um, miraculously. I mean, do you get this miracle? He enlarges my steps under me. So I place my foot on the place where there actually isn't any rock and God just creates a rock underneath me. You know, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about God makes a way where there is no other way. That's, that's the God who we serve. We, and, and he gives us these hinds feet. Okay. Now, sometimes uh, we, we think to ourselves, I can't do that. And we think it because we've been paralyzed by some events or things that have gone on in the past. But do you know what? It says in Isaiah, then the lame will leap like a deer. You see, this is his promise. He will heal. He, he showed this. Jesus himself showed this when we had the paralyzed man. What did that paralyzed man do? He was leaping for joy. Leaping, literally leaping. If Jesus can do that physically for a paralyzed man, he can do it for us even if we feel that, like we are spiritually paralyzed, even if we feel that we are um, you know, not able to do these things. He can make us leap like a deer. For by you I can run upon a troop. There's a whole troop and a whole army in front of you. And by you, God, I can face the whole lot. I'll face them down myself on my own. I can run upon a troop. And by my God, I can leap over a wall. Yeah. I wish I could show you that whole documentary that I watched about the deer when they're jumping around. Uh, in, in, in the suburbs. I mean, people were trying to stop them getting into their gardens to stop them eating all their flowers. They put up six foot, six foot fences. And these things, they literally, they jumped over the six foot fences. It was like, I never knew a deer could do that. But they can. They can leap over a wall. Things that seem impossible to us. God makes possible in the spirit. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So what about them snares then? What about those snares? Do you remember that was, that was one of the ways in which hunting was done, that the net was put out? Well, in Proverbs chapter 6, it speaks about the deer in the context of a snare. But the passage is really interesting. Let me read it to you. My son, if you have become surety for your neighbour... And you have given a pledge for a stranger. If you have been snared by the words of your mouth and have been caught with the words of your mouth, do this then, my son, and deliver yourself. Since you have come into the hand of your neighbour, go, humble yourself and importune your neighbour. 
Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand. Now, there are some things where we are just ensnared. And sometimes it comes by the words that have come out of our mouths. In this case, the, the, the writer of the Proverbs is, is speaking to his son and he's trying to give him advice. He's saying, look, don't enter into contracts. And if you've entered into a contract that is, 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 is binding you and ensnaring you, well, go and plead and get it broken. Break it off you. But the same is true in the heavenly realms. The, the, Satan is a lawyer. It, all of his minions, they run based on legal precedent, on, on uh, oral law. And sometimes we've got these things that we have said that have come out of our mouths, agreements that we have made with the things that the enemy says and believes in the heavenly realms. And we've, we've, we've come into agreement with it. Um, and, we need, and it becomes a snare to us. It's a trap to us. It will come back and bite us. It will hold us back. It will stop us being able to do that. Running like the gazelle. And we have to break it. We've got to break covenant. Now fortunately we've got this immeasurable power. An immeasurable power at work to support us. It's called the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. In the courts of heaven it is a trump card. It, it wins every single case. Amen. The blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. So but we, we, need to, we need to choose. And with our mouths, we break contract. Amen. We've got to break contract with all of these things that we've ever spoken Amen. that have ensnared us. Amen. I thought it was fascinating. Um, there was a passage in the book of Acts when Paul... Uh, he's travelling around, he's preaching the gospel, Gentiles are becoming Christians like crazy. And there, there were certain men, it is said, certain men who set, started saying to the people who Paul had, uh, had brought into the faith, they, they said to him, you must be circumcised before you're saved. If you want to be saved, you've got to be circumcised first because it's the law and you know, that's, the, that's the way the, the law of Moses works. Right? Now, this incensed Paul. He wasn't having any of it because he knew that salvation from, from Yeshua came by Yeshua's blood. You know? So he wasn't having it. So he decides to make a trip to Jerusalem to get agreement from the council, from the, from the collective community of the leaders of the church. And while he's en route, there are more men turn up. And these extra men, these are Pharisees who have believed. Okay, so there was a group of Pharisees who came into the faith. And what these Pharisees said was, yeah, not only have you got to be circumcised, but you've got to obey the whole of the law. So what did they do? What did they say when they came into this into this? Uh, this meeting, this gathering, not meeting, naughty, this gathering, this um, apostolic council, this place of government of the church. What did, they, what did they do? Well, Peter said, there is no way we can ask of the Gentiles to fulfill a burden that none of our fathers nor we ourselves were ever able to bear. 
That's what he said. We can't, we can't do that. So then what they did is they made a statement about salvation. And they said, look, salvation is by grace. That's what they said. Let me, I'll read the actual phrase. Let me get it exactly right here. Not paraphrase. It says, Acts 15, verse 11. They said, through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ shall we be saved. Okay? So salvation, you don't have to qualify. You just need the grace of Jesus Christ. But this is the bit that's really interesting for me because it's about the snares. Okay? It, if you took something good from what the Pharisees were saying, they were saying, well, look, what we want to have is, is following the law of Moses. Right? And it says in Psalm 119, 119, 119 that uh, the law of the Lord is perfect. You know? So if the law is perfect, well, you're not going to do away with it, are you? Because it's perfect. So you need to obey it. You've got to obey all of the law. Well, what they were wrestling with, the leaders of the church, was what things... How do we make the minimum amount of burden? We don't want to burden the new believers. We want them to, to flourish, to enjoy their relationship with, with Yeshua. We want them to, to, to grow in him, obviously, to grow in maturity. And obviously that's going to involve learning the law and coming to, to grips with it. But what things do you, what, th- what is urgent? What do you need to do straight away? In essence, what they're doing is they're working out what are the snares. What are the snares that you've got to be broken away from and that you must do? Now, they came up with four things. Now, to be perfectly honest, I can only preach and teach about two of them because I need to do more study about the other two. But I'm going to tell you all four so I'm not um, misleading on his word. But he said four things. He said, abstain from things polluted by idols, number one. Abstain from sexual immorality, number two. Abstain from things strangled, number three. And abstain from blood, number four. Now, I haven't got my head around all of this, I'll be quite honest with you, but I do know about the first two. The things polluted by idols. What we're talking about here is anything that is part of Nimrod's Babylonian mystery god religion yucky system. Anything that we can't have as a Babylon mix. You see, God doesn't mix things. You don't mix anything with Jesus. You have purity. The bride is pure. And, and the, anything idolatrous, anything at all that is idolatrous, that is, that is worshipping the things of this world, it will be a snare to you. You have to do that straight away. Break it off. We saw in, uh, in fact, we were talking earlier about Acts 20 um, in, in Ephesus, where they got all these magic books and they came out and burnt them. Because that's what they had to do. They had to break covenant. They had to break with all of the idolatry. The, the other big access to our sense of identity as to who we are. There's one thing on the, the spiritual side, the other is on the sexual side. And so they said abstain from all sexual immorality. Do that now. Do it now. Do it straight away because it will be a snare to you. Those two I can preach about. The other two, like I say, I've got to do some more um, teaching, uh, more research to get it right. Uh, you know, I know they're important, but I don't quite know how to express it. The other two are abstain from, from things strangled and from blood. Right. Um, so, but 
it, what is interesting as well is that they were not going to do away with it, are you? Because it's perfect. So you need to obey it. Okay? You've got to obey all of the law. Well, what they were wrestling with, the leaders of the church, was what things... How do we make the minimum amount of burden? We don't want to burden the new believers. We want them to, to flourish, to enjoy their relationship with, with Yeshua. We want them to, to, to grow in him, obviously, to grow in maturity. And obviously that's going to involve learning the law and coming to, to grips with it. But what things do you, what, th- what is urgent? What do you need to do straight away? In essence, what they're doing is they're working out what are the snares. What are the snares that you've got to be broken away from and that you must do? Now, they came up with four things. Now, to be perfectly honest, I can only preach and teach about two of them because I need to do more study about the other two. But I'm going to tell you all four so I'm not um, misleading on his word. But he said four things. He said, abstain from things polluted by idols, number one. Abstain from sexual immorality, number two. Abstain from things strangled, number three. And abstain from blood, number four. Now, I haven't got my head around all of this, I'll be quite honest with you, but I do know about the first two. The things polluted by idols. What we're talking about here is anything that is part of Nimrod's Babylonian mystery god religion yucky system. Anything that we can't have as a Babylon mix. You see, God doesn't mix things. You don't mix anything with Jesus. You have purity. The bride is pure. And, and the, anything idolatrous, anything at all that is idolatrous, that is, that is worshipping the things of this world, it will be a snare to you. You have to do that straight away. Break it off. We saw in, uh, in fact, we were talking earlier about Acts 20 um, in, in Ephesus, where they got all these magic books and they came out and burnt them. Because that's what they had to do. They had to break covenant. They had to break with all of the idolatry. The, the other big access to our sense of identity as to who we are. There's one thing on the, the spiritual side, the other is on the sexual side. And so they said abstain from all sexual immorality. Do that now. Do it now. Do it straight away because it will be a snare to you. Those two I can preach about. The other two, like I say, I've got to do some more um, teaching, uh, more research to get it right. Uh, you know, I know they're important, but I don't quite know how to express it. The other two are abstain from, from things strangled and from blood. Right. Um, so, but it, what is interesting as well is that they were not saying at this place that, they, that we're not endorsing the law of Moses. Not saying that at all. What they, what they said in Acts 15 verse 21 is, For Moses is read in the synagogues every Shabbat. So basically, they expected new Gentile believers to go to the synagogue. And they knew that at the synagogue there would be a reading of the Torah portion every single week. It would also be expounded. The expounding would be wrong, but it was read and so they, was, they were basically saying, look, uh, uh, the, 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 the new believers, they will go every week and they will hear what was written of Moses. And in that way, they will gradually learn 
the ways of the Lord. The Torah means the way. They will gradually learn the way, and they will gradually learn how to obey God in all the fullness. But that's not urgent, nor is it necessary for salvation. What's urgent is that we avoid the snares. So let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us, ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Then we will be like Naphtali, one of the tribes of Israel. Naphtali is a doe let loose, a doe set free. And he gives beautiful words. Yeah, that's nice, isn't it? When you're set free? Okay. Well, dear, because they are hunted, they have in equal measure curiosity and cautiousness. I think it's beautiful. You just sit and watch them. In fact, there was, a, again, on this, this documentary, there was a lovely little illustration they did. They, they, they found um, uh, one of these suburban gardens that they knew deer like frequenting. And they set up in it um, uh, a camera on one of the trees that, you know, that they could leave remotely. And they got some silhouette uh, wooden pictures of foxes. Um, or it might even be wolves, actually. You know, something, something that deer would, would be afraid of. And they posted them into the garden. And then they just watched the behaviour of these deer as they arrived in this garden. And the deer were... You're kind of like, huh, that's a bit different. What's going on there? But they sussed it out. They're totally carrying these, these deer. They, one of them then wandered up to it, sniffed it, and then knocked it over. <laughs> it's okay to be, to be curious. Okay? In fact, it's not only okay, it's good. And it's right. You know, when um, uh, St. Paul was travelling around Greece, he came to a place called Berea. This is Acts chapter 17 and verse 11. The Bereans listened to what he had to say. They were praised for two things. Firstly, for being open, and secondly, that they didn't take anything for granted, but rather they searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was saying was true. So they had that right blend of curiosity and cautiousness. Curiosity and cautiousness. We know that we're in a spiritual battle. We know that, and therefore we must be cautious at all times. But also, our Father is a loving Heavenly Father. He's got all kinds of good things for us. So we can be curious, you know? So, um, so let's just have a couple of scriptures about, um, about caution. It says, examine everything carefully. Okay, examine it. Test everything. Test everything carefully. And hold fast to that which is good. You never know. You might get something good, but you might not. Okay? Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. You know, we are spiritual beings. We have dreams, visions, prophecies. We meet with angels. We meet with the living God. We, we, have, we hear things. We have the word of God speaking to us. And we're, we're operating in a spiritual realm. And there are many things which are good in the spiritual realm. And there are many things which are downright evil in the spiritual realm. We have to test the spirits. We can't withdraw from the spiritual realm, that's not right. But equally, we can't just, um, just take everything. 
I, I have a slight discomfort that we, we're, we are, even amongst ourselves, we are too quick to say, oh, I've just had a picture, it must be right. Okay? You know, if we're having a picture, it's because we are open to the spirit realm. We need to test. And let's be free amongst each other. If we have something, let's submit it to each other. That it should be tested. That we can identify what is true and we can hold on to that which is good. Okay? So test everything. And even test yourselves, it says in 2 Corinthians. <laughs> test yourself. Don't even trust yourself. Yeah. Test yourself to see if you're still in the faith. Yeah. Whoa! Examine yourselves, it says. Well, there's another thing that they dare do. Once they have found danger, they have this thing. It's called stotting or pronking, depending on which part of the language you want to play with. And they get on their hind legs. They just fall, come back on their hind legs, and they get both front legs, and they go boom, down onto the ground. Lift up, boom, down onto the ground. And what they're doing is they are signalling warning. They've spotted a danger, and this action, um, it's not about the sound, it's about the, the feeling through the earth. And, and the people, the, the deer nearby will feel that. Well, there's plenty and plenty of passages in scripture that talk about how we can warn one another. You know, in love, we warn one another. I'll just give one verse. It says, blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Every now and again, you will be the deer that is the one that's sniffed out the, the danger, that's spotted it. So warn. It's okay. That's a good thing to do. And that, you know, we are deer. It's, it's good for us to be like that. Well, now I want to talk about deer and their senses. Deer's daytime eyesight is actually not that good. Um, but what is exceptional is their noses. They have more receptors, they are more developed acute sense of smell than bloodhounds. Wow! Wow! So isn't that interesting when you then get a passage in the Song of Songs that goes like this. Who's this coming up from the wilderness like a column of smoke perfumed with myrrh and frankincense? with all scented powders of the merchant. That is how the bride first sees her bridegroom. You see, she's looking out over the wilderness and there's a column of smoke. But, so she can see the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud by day, okay? She can see that there's this pillar of cloud. But she smells him long before she sees him. Okay, she smells him first. There's something about scent which, is, which is, speaks of the world unseen. And we can smell, it's like we smell his fragrance. You know, we can smell him and know, ah, he's coming, he's coming. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? So they've got this very well adept, ad, uh, um, adapted sense of smell. I said about their eyesight is not so good by day, but they've got this, um, this, this facility that some animals have with this kind of reflective surface behind the main bit of the eye um, that makes them perfectly adapted for dusk and twilight, you know, dusk and dawn. So they're really, really attuned to that, and they've got very good eyesight for night time. Now that is quite important 
when you understand how much of the bride's journey is, a br- is, is seeing it through the night. We see it through the night. She says, until the day breaks. So if, it, if the day hasn't broken yet, well, we're still in the night. So until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the rugged hills. That's the first, first time. So she's, she's asking him, him, out there on the rugged hills, turn, my beloved, come back to me. You who, Because he's trotting about at night, you know? And he can see where he's going on the mountain crags with his sure feet, okay? He, he, can, he can do all of that in, at night. But then, later on it says, until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I, the bride, I, the bride, I will go to the mountain of myrrh. I'm going to go to his place. That mountain of myrrh and the hill of incense, the hill of frankincense. What does frankincense represent in the book of Revelation? It's the prayers of the saints. So, she's, so through the night season, she's going to go to the mountain of prayer. Through the night season, and she's got this eyesight she can see in the dark. You know, she's able to see where she's going, even though it's the dark season. Okay. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. That's Song of Songs. But it could have been Revelation 3.20, where it says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and lay with me. So I'm going to go on another quick rabbit trail. Again, you'll see where I, I'll come back, I promise. In Exodus, a rabbi trail, thank you. In Exodus chapter 33, we're at a point in the story where Moses has been up the mountain, got all of the instructions, including all the instructions for building the tabernacle. But the tabernacle hasn't been built yet. And so while it's under construction, you know, he's got his mates, Behaliel and Ohaliab, they're busy at work, being Holy Spirit-inspired creativity, making all of the things that, that they have to make. But what are they going to do for direction from God during that time period? Well, it says this. It says, Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, the people rose and stood at the entrances to the tents, watching Moses uh, until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I'm, uh, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows. He's at the entrance, he's at the threshold. And, um, and the pillar of cloud will come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their own tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Well, I've already um, made reflection that all night long she sat on her bed and she looked for the one that her heart loves. 
She looked for him but didn't find him. But the issue was that she was on her own bed. You see, there's something about Jesus that he will come up to, up to the threshold of our, of, of our door. Uh, and he'll talk to us. As a, even with Moses, as a man speaks with his friend. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. But it's not the same as going to his tent. It's not the same as going into the holy place. That's going into his tent. So we just need to get off of our, out of our bed. We've got to go and find him. Not in the streets, but up there on the mountains. In the high places. In the high places that we are, we are capable in the spirit of going to. Now let's look at this other story of desperation that the bride has in the Song of Songs. She says, listen, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with dampness of the night. Oh, sorry, that, that's what he's saying, that's what he's saying. Right? So he's been out in the dawn, in that dewy dawn, um, or the pre-dawn bit when he comes to her door and knocks. But she says, I have taken off my robe, must I put it on again? I've washed my feet, must I soil them again? My beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening and my heart began to pound for him. I arose to open for my beloved and my hands were dripping in myrrh. My fingers were flowing with myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. This is the nightmare of the bride of Christ. This is her worst scenario. We know this, the story of the, the ten virgins. The five, uh, the five who were wise and the five who were foolish. The five wise virgins kept their oil lamps trimmed through the night. So they would be ready for the bridegroom at whatever point of the night he would come. They were, they were sitting and watching during the, night, the midnight hour. They were praying their way on the mountain of myrrh, keeping their spirits alive, waiting for his coming. They were ready for him. And the five who were foolish, they didn't bother to spend time getting that oil of intimacy. They said, can we buy some of yours? They said, no, you can't. Go get your own. Go get your own time of intimacy with God. But they, but they weren't ready. It's one of the worst things. In Judges chapter 5, there's a song of Deborah. And there's a line in it. It goes, wake up, wake up, Deborah. Wake up, wake up and break into song. Break into song. This is what we need to hear in the midnight hour, when we feel sleepy, when we're thinking, yeah, but I've already taken off my robe, Jesus. I'm, you know, my, I've already cleaned my feet. I don't want to get up to the door. You know, can I have just five more minutes, please, Mum? 
You know, it's that, it's that feeling. But it's, 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 you know, we just got to, you know, be ready for him because he is going to come suddenly. Suddenly, like a thief in the night, he will come. He's fast. He's going to come suddenly. We need to be ready. Well, for the one who sees it through the night, there is the reward. Do you remember we asked that question uh, earlier, a minute ago, about who is this coming up through the wilderness? You know, that pillar of cloud, and then we smelt him? Well, that same question is asked again in chapter 8. And it says, who is this coming up from the wilderness? Leaning on her beloved. The bride gets her man. She's seen it through the night. And she gets her man. And she's leaning on her beloved. She, the part of her journey through the Song of Songs is that she learns how to. She learns how to lean on him. How to depend on him for everything. Okay. So the next thing we're going to learn about, um, about deer is how incredibly well, uh, how incredibly um, attuned they are to the seasons. In their physicality of deer, they are made, designed to be attuned to the seasons. In the Song of Songs, we've got one refrain that comes, in, that comes identically twice in both chapter 2, verse 9, and chapter 3, verse 5. It says this, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. So what we've got here is the voice of the beloved, the voice of the one who has now entered into a, a loving a courtship with her bridegroom. She's fallen in love. And she's speaking to her friends who are her peer group but not quite there yet. And her advice to them is, listen girls, wait for the real thing. You know? You, you're all going through puberty. You probably want, you, you know, your bodies are just crying out to, you know, want to practice adult love and adult you know, living, but girls, take a shower. Just wait. Wait for the real thing. It's worth it, I tell you. It's worth it. Um, it's interesting. You look at Song of Songs, you get that message. You look at the book of Proverbs and you get the message for boys and it says the same thing. You know, young men, wait for the real thing. Don't get ensnared. It's, it's interesting. Proverbs is very much about don't get ensnared with going, trying to get ahead of yourself. It won't be good for you to get ensnared getting ahead of yourself. Well, I, there's something um, amazing about the, uh, about the deer. In that um, the male deer, obviously they have these horns. Uh, something I didn't know until about a week ago is that these horns, they, they actually they fall off every year and they grow again from fresh. I, I didn't know that, but anyway, maybe you know that. Um, uh, so, and through the year... They are, as they're growing, um, they are actually quite soft. They're, they're, they're not um, robust. It's almost sort of like a hairy type stuff that's bound up together, but it's, it's kind of like squidgy and soft, that sort of thing. And it's covered in this sort of velvety layer. Well, at a certain season, which is all the deer know, all at the same time. The females are all about to be ready. And the antlers of the, the males 
at exactly that season, uh, the velvety layer, it, it peels away and falls off. And what's left is you actually see it like a, a slightly red with a bit of bloody type stuff and it dries out over a few days and then it calcifies. It's only then that it goes hard. And then you get the fight between the stags. And the, the strongest stag is the one who gets, uh, who, who gets his girl. Well, there's something about that for, for us to understand. That we know the season. It's instinctive for the bride to know the season. And also to know that, uh, that you know, as the bride, we're going to get fought over. There are many contenders for us. But we know the one who is strongest. We're going to get the strongest one. <laughs> okay. Now, um, there's, a, there's a passage again here for the men. It says, drink water from your own system. Running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets um, and your streams of water in the public squares, that would be a disgrace. So let them be yours alone. And he's talking here to the men about their bride and their family. Let them be for you alone and never be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. Your wife who is a loving doe a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always and may you ever be intoxicated with her love. So there is some wisdom for us as men in this life, but also an indication of our bridegroom's love for us as the bride who is intoxicated with us, who loves us exclusively who is faithful to us, who's not interested in anyone else. And then, um, and then let's learn about this. So do you remember at the beginning, I'm talking about the different words that there are for deer. Um, uh, the, word, the, the main word for deer that we, that we look at is a word that is based on the idea of strength. So we've got the strong one. It's the, it's the lintel, it's the pillar, it's the strong tree. So, come with me from Lebanon, my bride. This is what he says to her. Come with me from Lebanon. So, there, where is he? He's over in Lebanon. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the crest of Amana, from the top of Senia, the summit of Hermon. Come with me from the lion's den, from the mountain haunts of leopards. This stag, he, he is out there and he's in the lion's den. He's out there and he's in the, the haunt of leopards. He's not at all worried about it. He's not at all worried about it. Now let's look at that passage that, that took me on to this whole, this whole journey in the first place. That behind of the morning. Um, the bit that I never realised was out there. When Jesus was on the cross... He said, it was about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
He was quoting from Psalm 22, verse 1. I will start from the very beginning of the Hebrew. It says, to the director of music, to the tune of the hind of the morning. There was a melody instruction to go with this psalm. And the melody was called the hind of the morning. This is a tune that Jesus had playing in his mind when he was on the cross. He's listening to the tune that is called the hind of the morning. And it then goes on to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is a psalm, I'm not going to read it all now, but it's a psalm where we learn about how he was the hunted one. Many bulls surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircled me. Do you remember we've just seen about the lover in the Song of Songs where he was on the summit of Mount Hermon? Those strong bulls of, of Bashan, it's the same place as Mount Hermon. Mm, how interesting. Right? Mm. That's where thy lover is. Mm. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. I don't know if you know much about Bashan. When Moses uh, was leading the Israelites into the land, they had to do a couple of battles, and one of them was with King Og of Bashan. They had to fight against this man. His territory was in the area that in Israel today they would call the Golan Heights that overlooks Syria. It's just in the foothills of the Mount Hermon. And, um, and King Og, he had a bed which was of extraordinarily large dimensions. He was a giant. He was one of the ones, the Nephilim, who were still left over, or the descendants of the Nephilim, who were still left over from all of that business that went on with, uh, with the, at the flood, with Noah and the flood, before and after the flood. King Og was part of this whole occultic, demonic, whole thing. That, so Moses was contending with that, but actually in every generation they were contending with that on Mount Hermon, and they still are today. It's still going now. Yes. It's interesting, there's a little footnote about this. King Og's bed gets mentioned in the story of David and Bathsheba. Did you know that? It, the, the bed got moved to Amman, which is now the capital of Jordan. And that bed got, got placed there. It was some kind of occultic um, artifact. And David should have been fighting that battle up front, but instead he was back in Jerusalem looking out across his balcony at Bathsheba. Yeah. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff. Anyway, roaring lions that tear their prey open um, with their mouths wide against me. This is what Jesus is, is singing on the cross, quoting Psalm 22. Dogs surround me. Deliver my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. That's where our stag, our Jesus went. That's the battle that he went. He went as the strong one into that place, into the darkest of places. He went even beyond there. He went to the grave. He went to Sheol. He went and saw Satan in Sheol. Satan holding the keys of death and hell. And he said, you've got nothing on me. You've got nothing on me. You have sinned. I have not. 
I own those keys. I am breaking them open. And he preached to all the souls in Sheol. And any who would listen were freed and went and followed him. That's how strong he is. He is the strong one. Psalm 22 does not stop at that place. It's incredible if you read it. Yeah, I really, I, I'm worth the time. Go and read it again. But, but, but it moves to how all the nations of the earth will be freed. Yes. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Hallelujah. He's the hind of the dawn. He's seen it through the night hour. He's seen it all the way to the new morning. He's seen the new day coming. We've got a whole new day. A whole millennium we're going to have with him. Ruling and reigning with him. That's what's coming. That's what's coming. He's the hind of the dawn. Wow. Well, because he has done that for us. Now, now we understand For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Here's another feature of the deer. They're hidden. They're really well camouflaged. They're hidden. And we are hidden with Christ in God. You know, that feature of the deer being hidden, um, of of living in the high places, living in the mountain places and not in in the wide city streets, that feature was what led Job Um, God to speak to Job and say, do you know? Do you know, Job? Do you know? What do you know, Job? What do you know? You think you know. You're bringing accusations against me, the living God. What do you think you know? Do you know about deer? Do you know where the mountain goats give birth? Do you know that? Do you watch over them when the doe bears her fawn? Do you count the months till they bear? Do you know the time that they give birth? They crouch down and bring forth their young. Their labour pains are ended. Their young thrive and grow strong in the wilds. They leave and do not return. It's understood that God is involved in bringing deer to birth. And bringing to birth things through the deer. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to carve. Psalm 29 verse 9. The voice of the Lord is something unique about God. It's something not in the preserve of man to be involved in giving, in giving birth. So what about this then, the dawn of the morning? Look at this in Psalm 110. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power, in holy array, from the womb of the dawn. What does that mean, the womb of the dawn? Your youth are to you as the dew. There is something about a transitioning from one, one time to another, from transitioning from the womb to being born, that there are the waters that come with that. There is the dew of the morning that is like, uh, it's, it's there as, a, as like a grace. It's a special grace, a special refreshment just for that transition period. There is a transition period that is supported by an extra special grace. And we're going to know that transition period. We're going to know his extra special favour. It doesn't stop us from needing to grow into maturity and to grow into all things that are in Christ. But there is a special grace. There are the waters that will come with the flow. There, are the, there is the dew of the morning. 
And, and in, the, in the day of the morning, God is going to know his people freely volunteer in the day of his power, in holy array, like a mighty army. So who is this that grows like the dawn? Just who is it? Who is this that grows like the dawn? This is what the lover says of his beloved. He says, you are as beautiful as the full moon. You are as radiant as the sun and as terrifying as an army with many banners. There's a memory verse to learn. I once had a boss who was known as uh, a bully. And um, I, I haven't probably met him. But the day I did meet him, I said to myself, I am as beautiful as the moon. I am as radiant as the sun. And I am terrible. Like an army with many banners. He didn't know what I hit him when he met with me. That's what Jesus says to us. Let that sink into your spirit. Feast on that. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, <laughs> well.